Welcome back to Aliyah Yami. Today we're going to be learning Emor Shvi'i, the last Aliyah, the seventh Aliyah in Parsha's Emor. The topic of our Parsha is the one who cursed. Our Aliyah is a longer Aliyah. It is 23 Pesukim running from Perak Chav Dalad Aleph to Chav Gimel. Basic overview of Aliyah. There really are two parts. The first section, or first two sections, are about the looking after the menorah, the sh- uh, preparing it with its daily dose of pure olive oil, making sure that it is always lit. This is the job of Aaron and his children. And then we hear about how we prepare, or the children of Aaron prepare, the showbread, the lechem upon him, how it was prepared on a weekly basis and constantly in front of Hashem as well. So we hear about these two mitzvahs. And then the last part of the parasha is a narrative. It's a very unfortunate story about a Ben Isha Yisraelis, the son of a Israelite woman, but he's also the son of a Mitzri, of a Egyptian. And he was in among the Israelites. He has a fight with another Ben Yisraelis and... Uh, and Ishi Israeli, and he gets into this big fight, and uh, and he comes out and he curses, he curses Hakadosh Baruch Hu, Rachman Alitzlan, he curses Hashem, and uh, we hear that his mother's name is Shlomis Bastivri, comes from the tribe of Don, they, they, and uh, because of this incident, they don't really know what to do, so they put him into the prison until they know what to do. Hakadosh Baruch Hu then tells Moshe Rabbeinu that he is to be taken out, and the people who heard this need to do smicha on him, put their hands on his head. And he needs to be stoned to death. So that's what that's what ends up happening. And uh, and the command that's given afterwards is anybody who curses Hashem, we put to death. We and uh, we then hear about also property damages. A person who hits another person destroys destroys their property. Who destroys their animals, he has to pay back the damage they did. Um, and that's the end of the Aliyah with the a number of of laws about pertaining to damages between different people. A lot of questions in Aliyah. The first question is is why are the lighting of the candles and the showbread, why do we have to hear about these two mitzvahs of the menorah on a daily basis and the lechem aparim? It's We've just finished the regalim, the festivals. We're about to start the topic of the makalel, the cursor of God. What does the what does this add to us? We've heard about the general general upkeep of the base of Migdash, certainly the menorah we've heard in Pasha's Tetzaveh. Um, we're going to hear about it in Baaloyesha again. Why do we need to have this here? Rav Hirsch makes a very beautiful comment in which he says that when HaKadosh Baruch Hu has just, just described in Perak Chav Kimmel, the immediately preceding Perak, that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is imminent at times of special, special times in the year, the festivals, Pesach, the, the Shavuos, Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, Sukkos, one may get the misimpression that God only cares, that Hashem is only present at times of the heights of things, at the party, at the time of celebration, at the commemoration. But the rest of the time, then, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's fine to be a Jew in shul and a personal and a mensch on the street. That's not the way that Judaism works, says Rav Hirsch. Uh, you need to realize that on a daily basis, these are the two mitzvahs, the menorah and the dachim are the two mitzvahs which are described as tamid. They need to be always. It needs to be that you're always involved with HaKadosh Baruch Hu and his mitzvahs. Hashem is always present and therefore you're always responsible to him every moment of our daily lives. That's why these two are reiterated here. Next question is, what is going on with this Mekadel? Who is the man who cursed? So Rashi tells us that if you look at the Pesukim, it says that his mother is Yisraelis, and then his father is an Ishmitri. So how did this happen? So Rashi takes us back to the story that occurs at the beginning of Pasha Shmos, where Moshe Rabbeinu is going out to the construction site, and he sees an Egyptian beating an Israelite man. What really went on? What's the backstory to that? We're told that that man, the Hebrew, who was being beaten at that point in time, 
was married to Shlomis Bastivri. That was his wife. And she was a very social being. And in fact, her name, Shlomit, was, comes from the word Shalom, Shalom. She would say hi to everybody. Divri, she would speak. So she was a very social person. And she attracted the attention of this particular Egyptian taskmaster who fancied her, um, sent the husband out into the fields to work at, an, uh, at, at uh, some hour and, the, and then had a, had a relationship, tricked her into having a relationship with him. But when, unfortunately, w- the husband came back, discovered this, um, the Egyptian was started to beat this Hebrew. And that's the backstory to this. Moshe Rabbeinu saved that Hebrew um, ultimately. But there was a child born out of this union, and this child is this unfortunate young man over here in the times of the desert who is the one who curses Hashem. That's the backstory of all of this as well. Why is he cursing Hashem? So Rashi tells us two options. One is, is he was cursing or he was scorning the showbread. We just finished the lechem haponim above. above and, uh, and he was scorning it. And he says, He says, oh, what, you're going to give the, the king old stale bread that's only changed every, every Shabbos? So why? Why wouldn't you give him new bread? So it's sort of scorning the mitzvahs of Hashem, and that's what caused him to curse. However, Rashi tells us a, a much deeper understanding of what the, 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 the reason why he cursed is, and it goes down to his very lineage and perhaps even his identity. And then Rashi sa- tells us that he came out of Bastin, and he was chmechayev. He was, uh, um, he came out um, feeling, uh, being, being gil- guilty from the Bastin of Moshe Rabbeinu. And then, Moshe, then Rashi goes on to say, that um, he came to pitch his tent. The, the camps had be just been assorted in Israel. He came to pitch his, his tent in the area of Dan, um, which is where his, um, his mother's tribe comes from. But um, ultimately, he was rejected by another Israelite who said, this is not your territory. So, uh, and, and at that point in time, he went to the basin of, Mo- of Moshe and came out and he lost the court case, which means to say it was patrilineal descent. And, um, and he did not have a, st- a, a, a stake to claim in the territory of Dan um, at this point, and therefore he lost the, this court battle. In a certain sense, what, what really is, is, is actually the dock is not just whether or not he can place his tent peg there, but rather who he is. And what is being criticized over here is who he is, which is why he takes it deeply personally, and in a certain sense he rejects his very essence, the very essence of who he is because of this as well. It's worthwhile noting a very interesting point which is raised over here, and that is the idea that, um, that, that the comment over here is that this was the only marriage, the only known marriage that we have, or, or, or union between an Egyptian and an Israelite. Um, and the union of it was this complicated person whose identity is complex and his, his self-awareness is complex, and it causes a lot of inner friction leading to this terrible moment of um, cursing of the Almighty. Um, it's interesting to note that Rav Tzadok talks about this in many different places, but in Divrei Sofrem, Rav Tzadok has a very in, in, important note to make, and he says that in general, this is a very, this is a very um, incredible insight he has into the course of Jewish history, is that as we pass through the different places in Jewish history, that although it is true that Yerida Sadoras, that every generation gets somewhat smaller, ultimately the soul or the, 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 of the nation gets larger. That means to say that the development of each individual is progressively enlarged through the process of the difficulties and challenges and crucibles that that goddess provides. Um, 
And therefore he points out that when it comes to understanding this particular episode, when it comes to, to Mitzrayim, he makes the following comment. He says that's why the Torah tells us that this particular episode happened. This was not out of a free will. This was a terrible circumstance that occurred that led to this union. And he says, yes, there was a certain degree that um, she was involved, but the actual action, the union, was not her choice. Um, what this particular episode is set out is that any time in the future when Israel would sin in this particular direction, in this particular avenue, it was also going to be deemed as meones, in a state of lack of control, not because they chose to. What's being told to us by the Torah is that even this episode, this, this, this ar- arriving at this episode of cursing, which came from this complex family identity background, came from a place of lack of choice. It was ones. And the, the Tzadik Adoras are explaining to us that it, even any bad decisions that are going to be made in the future as Jewish history expands are going to be a reflection of inner ones, inner not willingness. Perhaps uh, indulgences pulling a person in the, one di- in the run or wrong direction, but at core, it is still honest, like the production of this very complex person was through a state of honest. So it is, a, it is, in a certain sense, a model for future, for future episodes of difficulty. And that's what Alfred Solik says, which is a very powerful perspective on understanding this. Finally, why does the Torah end in over here all these extra laws about damage of property? So at the end of the Aliyah, the Bukhar Shor of Yosef Bukhar Shor points out in his commentary that it shows that Hashem doesn't care just about his own honor and his own name. It's about the honor of even the people in his nation and their very property. Just want to end with one, one fascinating point. And that is, if you look in the Gomorrah that describes this, this particular episode of, um, of Mekalel, of cursing God, God forbid, um, it's such a serious and egregious thing that even when the, it's brought to trial, the person is the, the person, the, the witnesses who have to describe this first describe it with a euphemism. So they say, Yake, Yose, Es Yose, they use a euphemism as to what they actually heard. And then they take one of the witnesses out and, and they, they, he says what he actually heard the person say. And if he uses the real name of Hashem to curse, God forbid, then they, the based in who, or who hear it tear Kriya from hearing this. It's like seeing a Sefer Torah being burnt or a person dying, God forbid. And the other witness will, will acknowledge and affirm this, but he won't actually say it again because of the severity of this. This is, this is such an egregious and terrifying sin that we just understand the ramifications of this. With this, we conclude Emor and the seventh Aliyah as well. In the meantime, have a wonderful, meaningful day and a beautiful Shabbos ahead.